This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. In February, Progenics launched to develop novel brain-penetrant therapies that target defined pathways for the treatment of the rare neurodegenerative condition, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, and other brain diseases. Progenic's lead candidate is Procetin, an experimental therapy developed through a collaboration between Project ALS and researchers at Columbia University. We spoke to Stan Abel, CEO of Progenics, about ALS, the company's lead therapeutic candidate, Procetin, and its ongoing relationship with Project ALS and Columbia University. Stan, thanks for joining us. Danny, thank you very much for inviting me. It's my pleasure. We're going to talk about the rare neurodegenerative condition ALS, Progenics, and its collaboration with Project ALS and Columbia University to develop a potential therapy to treat the condition. Let's start with ALS, though. For people not familiar with it, what is it? How does it manifest itself and progress? Sure. Um, ALS, which is abbreviation for amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, uh, more commonly known as Lou Gehrig's disease after the famous baseball player that was diagnosed with it in 1939. Um, ALS is a devastating progressive neurogenerative disease that affects nerve cells known as motor neurons. Uh, in the brain and the spinal cord, um, and that causes a loss of muscle control. Uh, ultimately, uh, as the de- disease progresses, um, these and you lose more and more motor neurons, eventually the ability of the brain to communicate um, with the rest of the body and, and uh, dictate movement uh, becomes lost. Um, and this initially you know, shows up in symptoms such as weakness and um, you know, weakness in the limbs and, and, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, it starts to affect the way that you walk and you move. It also then ex- kind of advances into affecting your speech, um, and your ability to swallow and eat, um, and also your, your breathing. Um, and sadly the, the progression leads to respiratory compromise and eventually respiratory failure, which is the leading cause of death, uh, in people with ALS. Um, ALS is considered to be universally fatal within two to five years. So, uh, you know, very aggressive um, and and devastating disease. It's considered a rare disease. And the definition in the United States is, you know, when you have a patient population of fewer than 200,000. ALS, we we estimate that there's approximately 30,000 people living with ALS in the United States, um, with some estimates worldwide, you know, at at above 400,000. 
Um, and in the United States, there were about 6,000 new cases annually. Um, and, you know, the reason why the prevalence is not higher um, is that ALS is such a dev devastating disease that people don't live very long with it. So um, that's why the, the total number of cases at any given time, you know, stays around this, this 30,000 range. But it is growing um, and the incidence is increasing. Is there any reason to explain why the incidence is increasing? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, as our these motor motor neuron diseases or or neurodegenerative diseases um, do have a have a correlation with age, and as our population ages, that could be a contributing factor. Um, but we don't really have a very good understanding of the of the etiology or the causes of the disease. But it, but the but the numbers do seem to be increasing. It would it would be helpful if one reason was that there were disease modifying therapies for the treatment, but I, I take it that's not the case. What's what's the treatment for someone with ALS today? Well, unfortunately, there's no cure uh, for ALS. There's really no effective treatment that will halt or reverse uh, the progression or the damage that's been done or the loss of motor neurons. Um, there are only two drugs approved by the FDA. Um, for the treatment of ALS. One is uh, known as Riluzol, which was approved back in 1995. Um, and there's data that supports that it may extend life by two or three months. Um, but, you know, overall, a fairly modest effect. And then in 2017, the FDA approved a drug called Adarivone, um, which was indicated as a neuroprotective agent that could potentially slow the advance of ALS. Um, but the data, you know, that, you know, and it's subsequent to the drug's approval, additional studies have shown the effect uh, of the drug to be quite modest. So uh, sadly, um, there's still very limited options um, for a diagnosis of ALS. How well understood is the biology underlying ALS and why has it been so difficult to develop effective therapies for the condition? Yeah, no, so... The data or the evidence suggests that um, there's potentially both a genetic component as well as an environmental aspect to it. Um, there are two kind of categories of a ALS diagnoses. The familiar, familial, excuse me, no uh, ALS, which is about 10% of uh, the diagnoses, and that is a, that is a um, result of a specific genetic mutation that has been passed down from a parent. Um, to date... There have been over 50, um, well over 50 genetic mutations, specific genetic mutations that have been identified um, in familial ALS. Um, and then the remaining 90% is referred to as sporadic ALS, where there's really no specific known cause. Um, you know, ultimately in these patients, their cells stop functioning properly and they, they produce uh, dysfunctional proteins that cause stress um, throughout um, the motor neurons, and then ultimately the motor neurons start to die. And these could have, you know, environmental influences that cause the genetic mutation, but there's really no known specific cause. Progenics was created out of a long-term research collaboration between Project ALS and Columbia University. How did the company come about? Yes, well, I I have the uh, the pleasure and the responsibility of telling you this story as someone who's been involved with Progenics for two months, um, <laughs> and I, I've been the CEO of the company for for two months. Um, and 
you know, it, this, it's an amazing story um, about a visionary collaboration that began over 20 years ago. Um, so Project ALS, uh, which is a leading not-for-profit organization committed to ALS research, was founded by uh, three sisters, um, Jennifer, Meredith, and Valerie Estes. Um, in the late 90s, Jennifer was diagnosed with ALS. Um, and once she confirmed, you know, got the diagnosis confirmed, the physician told her, you know, go do whatever you want, eat as many Big Macs as you want. There's nothing I can do for you. And, you know, your, your prognosis is that you'll, you'll probably be gone in two to five years. And Jennifer found that answer unacceptable. Um, and through her sisters and other family, um, they created Project ALS to try to work with the research community to do better, better coordination of, you know, what is happening with these patients, what's happening with the underlying biology, coordinating research, and then also supporting the development of uh, treatments um, for ALS. So they partnered with um, researchers at Columbia University, initially uh, Dr. Hinnick Victorly at Columbia, and then uh, Brent Stockwell um, at Columbia University. Um, it's, inter it's a fascinating story of, of the evolution of uh, drug development and that uh, Hinnick was the first researcher to actually get stem cells to differentiate into fully functioning motor neurons. Um, at the time, that was a major breakthrough, but it was still challenging because of the limited availability of stem cells and, you know, the, the, the limits of having enough motor neurons to work with for research purposes. And then additional discoveries over the, the, the coming years, um, uh, one by Dr. Yana, Yamanaka from Japan, who basically figured out how to make stem cells from other uh, cells in the body. So now we can actually take blood cells or skin punch cells from ALS, patient, ALS patients and create stem cells to um, really an endless supply of stem cells to support research. Um, and so how that research unfolds um, is once you start expressing these ALS disease cells or cells from ALS patients, then, um, you know, Hennick uh, developed a way to actually create and stress those cells to accelerate the disease process so that clues on the source of the disease would be revealed. Um, and, you know, these cells are, ALS is a, is a disease of aging. So you're creating brand new stem cells. They're not 50, you know, 30, 40, 50 year old uh, living cells. So there had to be a way to really accelerate that process so that cl clues could be revealed. And um, that did occur. And um, through that work, um, what's, what's referred to as ER stress or endoplasmic reticulum stress was identified in a common feature across both sporadic and familiar forms of ALS. Um, so now you have a model where you actually can create disease cells. Now you can start screening to look for um, interventions that interfere with that process. Um, and in the case of uh, Progenics and, and Columbia, uh, and Project ALS, um, Hinnick worked with uh, Brent Stockwell at Columbia to synthesize libraries of small molecules to look for activity that would reduce ER stress and then also um, look for the evidence that would be preserved motor neurons um, or, or increasing you know, survival in motor, motor neurons in these in vitro models. So they developed a screen platform um, and it's, and it's really, you know, from a, with working with cells from ALS uh, patients um, where they could actually take those cells and screen compounds against them to see, um, you know, which compounds were active in preserving, you know, motor neuron or increasing motor neuron survival. 
Um, now I just skipped over 20, 20 years of effort, but um, it's really an amazing story. And, and from that effort um, arose a series of small molecule compounds that became very, very high interest that they, they showed, um, they showed activity um, in preserving the survival of motor neurons. And then that's how percentin was discovered um, from optimizing that group of compounds um, from, from that, from those models. And what was the decision in, in taking that compound and building a company around it? Um, well, that's a great question. So what's amazing about this effort is that, that pro- until Progenis was, was um, founded uh, la- late last year and then provided seed funding, you know, this was all funded out of Project ALS in Columbia University. Aaron Fleming, who um, is our VP of operations at Progenics, actually spent the better part of a decade with Project ALS, um, you know, kind of overseeing and, and, and running this process. And then she then, um, when Progenics was formed, became the first employee of Progenics. Um, and their drug development, as a, you probably know, Danny, is very expensive. There, there are only certain things that you can do, you know, with a budget of two to three million dollars. Um, and what I described through, through research funding and grants, you know, you can get small molecules and you can start to characterize those small molecules and even do some of the early IND enabling work. But um, at some point when you start thinking about clinical trials, the capital requirements go up dramatically. So um, uh, one, our founding investor and actually interim CEO, who I just recently replaced when I joined a couple months ago, Eric Kyle um, from Medical Excellence Capital, had met Hinnick um, and said in a presentation um, where Hinnick described all of the research that I just kind of highlighted. And that, that started a conversation which led to this, the creation of Progenics, the licensing of the technology from Columbia into Progenics, and then the uh, initial financing or seed funding of $5 million from Medical Excellence Capital. And that all unfolded this year. So this is very, a very recent, very relatively very new company. And you had mentioned Jennifer. I, I take it the company's name is derived from her name in some way. It is. Um, Progenics Jen is after Jennifer Estes. And actually her sister Valerie uh, is still on our, or is on our board of directors. And, and what attracted you to take the job as CEO? Well, I've been uh, blessed to have a, a, a really a great career in biotech. I, I left Eli Lilly back in the early 2000s and, um, I'll skip over the details, but was fortunate enough to build and sell three biotech companies and um, had been sort of last couple of years serving as a board member and an, advise, and an advisor to small companies. Um, Eric and I started talking about um, what he was doing in medical excellence capital, and he introduced me to, the, to Progenics and just described the company to me and said that they were starting a CEO search. And you know, immediately, you know, the, the fact that Progenix was focusing on ALS, which is such a horrible disease with so limited, you know, few options and such a, you know, extreme unmet need that immediately um, caught my attention. I found very interesting. And then when I learned about the story uh, from Project ALS to Columbia University to where Progenix, how Progenix was created, um, I was very moved by it, quite frankly. And um, that energy, that passion, that created the science behind Procetin and it's now uh, resulted in Progenics is still very much a part of the culture of the company. Um, you know, Aaron, I, I, I met Aaron. She, as I mentioned, she was the first employee of the company and 
you could immediately sense that passion. And um, I was quite excited about the prospect of joining the company. What's MAP for Kinase and, and what role does it play in ALS? Sure. So um, protein kinases are um, a very broad um, sort of universe of what's kind of referred to as intracellular or cell surface proteins that dictate certain signaling pathways and biological processes in terms of metabolism and responses to injuries and uh, adaptation growth, all those things. And there are many, 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 many uh, protein kinases. Um, when you, uh, Procetin is an inhibitor of MAP4K, meaning it blocks the activity of a specific kinase family called MAP4Ks, which is mitogen-activated uh, protein uh, 4 uh, kinases. So when, when Hinnick was screening for activity in this ER stress-mediated mo uh, for motor neuron loss, he uh, MAP4Ks, um, a MAP4K inhibitor revealed itself as being strongly neuroprotective. Uh, and then that led to the effort to optimize a small molecule compound that would block the activity of MAP4K. And how well understood is the role it plays within ALS? Well, I mean, the, honestly, the, the biology uh, behind ALS is very complicated. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, so far in familiar ALS, they've found an, uh, potentially over 50 genes that, were imp that are implicated in the disease. And in terms of the disease process, those genes are, you know, somehow their signaling it became faulty. Uh, the proteins that they're creating or, 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 or synthesizing are miscoded or misfolded and they don't function properly. Um, and that then leads to the cascade of pathology with ER stress and then um, motor, motor neuron death. The, the field has been struggling trying to find targets that are really effective against interrupting that pathology um, because there's so many potential genes out there that people are interested in looking at um, and other you might even look at specific proteins that have been misfolded or that are that could be implicated in in causing you know the progression of motor neuron loss what's interesting about this approach for percetin is that this drug was developed um, from the start with, you know, by following ALS biology, by taking ALS uh, cells, by identifying, um, you know, or, or creating a model that would actually show how those cells were stressed and ultimately how those motor, motor neurons died, and then specifically looking for activity that would preserve those motor neurons. So MAP4K, you know, really revealed itself as a, as a target that would be effective, as I mentioned, across both familial and sporadic ALS. And it should be, um, you know, our hope is that blocking MAP4K will have a robust response uh, and improve symptoms and hopefully extend lives in, in people living with ALS. As you mentioned, your lead experimental therapy is Procetin. What is it and how does it work? Yeah, it's uh, so it's a novel orally available, meaning you can actually either formulate it in a pill or drink it in a fluid, which is important for ALS patients to be able to to do that in, in a fluid. It makes it much easier to ingest. Um, but importantly, Procetin has been designed to be highly brain penetrant. So not all small molecule drugs, in fact, many or most, don't cross the blood-brain barrier to get into the brain. 
to treat ALS, it's very important to get into the CNS and in the brain where these motor neurons are uh, present and where the pathology is is taking place. So Prosetin has been optimized um, to to access and, and, and to access the brain and specifically target this important uh, pathway in the disease. And what's known about it from the studies that have been done to date? Sure. So there, we are in phase one clinical trials. So just to kind of recap, um, the team, you know, initially with optimizing the compound, which means you're, you're looking for uh, to improve its characteristics. You're in trying to improve its brain penetration. You're trying to improve its stability. Um, you're looking at how it behaves in vitro to make sure that it has good drug characteristic characteristics. Then you take a compound like Prosetin that you like as a drug candidate, and then you start uh, you know, going through a battery of tests, looking at in vitro safety and pharmacology. Um, and in addition to an efficacy, um, you have to look at how to manufacture it, how to make it and scale it up. Um, and all those things are a part of the, a very, very robust package of data that goes into what's called an IND um, to, that you file with the FDA. An IND is an investigational new drug application. So there's been a whole body of preclinical work that goes into the IND. You submit that to the FDA. And then um, if everything is in order, then you're allowed to proceed into humans. Uh, so that step from preclinical into first human um, exposure is, is obviously a big, important step. We are now, we started enrolling earlier this year, a phase one trial. So the development process is, you know, phase one is early safety and PK. And then you um, if that goes well, then you can move into a larger phase two trial where you're looking at efficacy. And then traditionally, you then would move into a big phase three trial, which could end up having hundreds or maybe even thousands of patients that you would ultimately submit to the FDA to ask for approval. Now, that takes years um, and hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, but ALS is a bit unique um, as a orphan disease or a rare disease. You have the opportunity to, to truncate that process. So our hope is, as we complete the phase one this year, in 2022, that sometime in 2023, we will initiate what uh, is referred to as a phase two, three registration trial, which, if the data are supportive, could support approval with just that one trial. And so the clinical path forward would be what? Yeah, that um, the... Because it's an orphan designation and an orphan disease, what normally might take, you know, six, seven, eight years could be significantly truncated into three or four years. So this year is phase one. Uh, we would initiate the phase two, three in 2023. That would take a couple of years. And then you would then submit to the FDA and hopefully have an accelerated review process. Um, and if the, again, as the, if the data are supportive, this could be a drug that could be available um, within the next five years. And what is the ongoing relationship with Project ALS and Columbia University, if any? Do they have a role in the development of the drug? Is there an expectation of building out a pipeline of other therapies from them? Yeah, no, great question. So <laughs> we there are two employees, full-time employees at the company right now, which is Aaron and myself. Not necessarily unusual for an early-stage biotech, but we have the ongoing support and the help um, from a team of folks at Columbia University that in still include uh, Hinnick Victor Lee, uh, Brent Stockwell, Emily Lowry, other people that were involved in 
the development of Procetin before it was transferred and licensed over to Progenics. Um, I also mentioned Project ALS. We're still very close with Valerie Estes is on our board of directors. Um, so that that sort of passion and commitment that has been present in this effort for the last 20 years is still very much alive uh, within Progenics. So, um, you know, we're, we're very pleased that they're going to continue to support our efforts. We do need to raise money, and that's part of our plans for the summer, this fall. And then that we would use that money to expand the team as we prepare for larger scale clinical trials, as well as build out the pipeline. So um, Procetin has potential because of its activity, potentially to, we can look at other neurodegenerative diseases. Um, and we also have still a library of small molecule compounds that could be advanced um, for other neurodegenerative diseases. So the, the whole purpose of that financing will be to, to advance Procetin into the phase two, three trial, build our team and expand the pipeline. Stan Abel, CEO of Progenics. Stan, thanks so much for your time today. Danny, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.